The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Okay, so we'll start off with the application number one. Uh, As Jesus tells this story, we're going to look at Matthew 23, verses 1 through 12. And the first three verses, here's how I would summarize it. Let, Jesus is saying, let the word go into your heart for transformation, not mere tradition. So hypocrisy in that whole world is about outward appearance. What God is after is the heart. So Matthew 23, beginning in verse 1, says, Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. This is Jesus' last public message. And I think it's kind of interesting. It's not a sermon on salvation. It's not a sermon on the resurrection. It's not a sermon on principles of living in the kingdom. It is a very pointed, radical denunciation of false religion under the guise of the truth. And the reality is uh, there's a real danger to be warned against that can do great damage to your spiritual life. Because, and here it is in a nutshell, if we only apply God's word and, and what he has to share about his kingdom, if we only externalize it and put it on the outside of our lives, we are robbing ourselves of what it's really all about. God loves you. God is interested on you on the inside. God is interested in your heart. Ultimately, what that means is not a bunch of rules and regulations, but it's about an inward transformation. It's that God wants to give you love and joy and peace and all the fruit of his spirit in your heart so that you're changed from the inside. So the desire to do what is right comes from within. And the power to do what is right also comes from within because you've had a life-changing, transforming experience. Can I hear an amen on that? And I want to say that I know that there are many of you who in your past uh, and, and in the way maybe that you were raised come from an unhealthy spiritual background. Uh, And there are, you know, many people that have experienced uh, hurt and betrayal and disappointment. Uh, And so I thank God that you're still here. I mean, the fact that you're here on a Sunday morning in church, worshiping, opening your Bible, praise God. But I also want to say that I know that some of you carry wounds and scars, uh, overbearing uh, people, you know, it could be a mom, it could be a dad. It could be a religious group. For some of you, it wasn't even a Christian denomination, but it might have been a cult or some other thing that had some weirdness to it, and you got burned up in the midst of that, and you need some healing. Uh, You need some power of the Holy Spirit just to come over you and wash over you. I just want to say, as a pastor of this church, and here you are coming and worshiping with us together, I want to apologize. I want to ask forgiveness. For every man, every woman, every pastor, every priest, every leader religiously that maybe became a roadblock or became a stumbling block to you in your walk with God. 
And I just want to say it's wrong. It is not of God. Uh, and I humbly ask forgiveness for all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I do want to give you some kind of good news of things that's happening in the world. I uh, just read this this last week. The good folks at the Center for the Study of Global Christianity released their 2019 edition of their Status of Global Christianity. So how's Christianity doing around the world? Uh, There's a lot of very fascinating stuff in there, and they have seven surprising trends in global Christianity in 2019. I'm not going to go through all seven, but I'm going to give you just a couple. Number one is this. I don't know if you knew this or not, but here's the fact. In 2019, the fact is Christianity right now is growing faster than the population on the planet with 7 billion people. How's that? Or that the percentage of unevangelized individuals in the world uh, has shrunk. In the year 1900, 54% of the population had not heard the gospel. And now today, it's down to 28.4%. So the gospel, Jesus said the whole gospel will go to the whole world and then the end shall come. So we're gaining ground. Hallelujah. But then there, this is the last one. Perhaps the most fascinating Uh, point that they found out in the project is the decrease in atheism worldwide. According to the report, atheism reached its peak, believe it or not, back in 1970, with 165 million atheists worldwide. Since then, uh, atheism has been in steadily decline, decreasing. Now there's only 138 million, a number that is expected to drop to 129 million by the year 2050. Can I hear an amen and hallelujah? So what's interesting and, and the trend and what that tells me is that the world, even though they have been wounded and many have been hurt and there's lots of false religion and, and all of the religious hypocrisy that is there, that still the world is going, but I can't just say there is nothing and there is no hope and there's no help. Uh, and they believe in it. So their spirituality is kind of all over the map, 360 degrees, looking and searching. And I believe that we're living in a very vulnerable time where literally millions of people, well, just like the statistic, Christianity is outpacing the population growth. People are finding the Lord. I've been speaking in the last couple of weeks about that maybe the very front edge of the evangelism that is happening is in the Middle East, and the country maybe leading all of that is in Iran. Who would have ever guessed? Our God is an awesome God. He's an amazing God, and he does great and mighty things, and he is moving in some mighty ways in our day. But since the fall of man, the world has always had false religious leaders uh, pretending to represent God, but in reality, they're only representing themselves. False leaders were part of the rebellion in the scheme to build the first Tower of Babel. It's a global movement. Oh, let's make all the, you know, blend all the religions together into just one big tower of Babel. But it was false. It was not of God. It was not God's design to bring the world in unity. God's design was to bring his son in the gospel. Moses came into conflict in Egypt with the religious sorcerers, and they had stuff going on. Uh, Supernatural manifestations, magicians of Egypt, and a pharaoh, a man who treated himself and thought he was a god. But even later in the history of Israel, Ezekiel warned against false prophets, Jews in Israel, 
who are saying, I had a dream, I had a vision, God is saying this or that. And this is what is written in Ezekiel. He called them foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. So we have to be careful in this day and age. I like Psalm 51 verse six. Let's read this scripture out loud together. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. God desires truth in the inward parts. And, and so uh, what I believe is the heart of the Lord. He's wanting us to give, wanting to give us our true identity and our true identity is in him. It's not in the image of a man. It's not in the image of some religious group or a particular religious leader. It is a direct relationship with God. He wants not religion. He wants relationship, personal relationship that you can know God, your father, personally. And he is the one who made you in his image and after his likeness. And he loves you immensely. I mean, just as, you know, I fell in love with my wife, Vicki, and we got married and we came together and we had a child, a beautiful little girl named Annie. She is the blending of me and Vicki. And then we had a son named Daniel. I mean, the, the love for them, when, for your own children, when it's from you and of you uh, and has come from you is powerful. So God made us in his own image and after his own likeness. And from him, we gain our true identity. From him, he reveals to you, you are highly favored. You are the apple of my eye. I have purposes and plans for you. I want to bless you. I don't want to lay burdens upon you. I want to release you from burdens. I want you to find your ultimate purpose. I've given you special gifts. I even know the unique little mix that makes you, you. Uniquely, you're a personality and there's never been another one like you. And I love you and I want to bless you and I have purpose and plan for you for the rest of eternity. Amen? That's your identity in him. But it's an identity that doesn't come in an exterior fashion, and that's what the Pharisees have done. It's a relationship that builds from the inside. So let's go. I want to look again at verses 2 and 3. Because Jesus says here, therefore, whatsoever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works. And he's talking about the Pharisees and the scribes. For they say, and they do not do. So I like to put it this way. Jesus never said, follow my people. He said, follow me. And so I, I just want to say that, you know, I've been a pastor for many years now. And so when I'm out of, you know, church pastor teaching role and I'm out in the community and whatever and meeting people or whatever and finally it comes around to so what do you do uh, I always pray like Lord should I because when I was younger I would go right to I'm a pastor you know and and then I would get they were like oh gosh did I be, have I been cussing what have I been saying you know it gets weird and so finally just you know eventually maybe it will come out and uh, and then so they, they will say oh well I was raised Catholic or Presbyterian, or I was a Baptist, or I was in this group or that group or whatever. And, and then invariably what eventually, because then it's kind of like, oh, okay. And I'm not trying to bring any big, you know, heavy burden to it or anything. And they go, well, uh, the reason I don't go, and I didn't ask, but the reason I don't go <laughs> anymore is because of all the hypocrites in the church. And I always roll my eyes. If I've heard that once, I've heard it 10,000 times. 
through the years. All the hypocrites in the church. You know, yeah, and I used to try to explain and try to this and that and all the rest of it. And finally, uh, the Lord gave me another answer. Instead of fighting it, I said, well, hey, this one guy finally he said it. He goes, you know, I don't go because all the hypocrites are in the church. I said, well, then come join our church because one more won't make any difference. <laughs> and he looked at me like, what? I said, well, what I mean is, I mean, we're all flawed. We're all failures. We've all, we've all been hypocrites. How many of you honestly, and here you are in church, have been a hypocrite at one time or another in your life? I mean, come on, right? You're breathing. You got a pulse. We've all been hypocrites. That, that's the whole point. We're flawed. We're broken. We're sinners. Uh, and that's why we're coming to a place where we're kind of being reparented. We're being healed. We're being saved. We're being reconciled. And, and it's a process. But I love this idea that I put here in your notes because Jesus never said, follow my people. He said, follow me. And I'll tell you this, I have followed some men and some godly women in my upbringing that have hurt me, that have disappointed me, uh, that have betrayed me or whatever. But I'll tell you this, Jesus has never let me down, not one time in my entire life. He has always been there. He's always been faithful. I could always count on him. So I don't follow people or a movement or a group. I follow Jesus. And I encourage you. I'm not asking you to follow me or follow this church or this tribe or whatever. I, I, I want to gather a bunch of people and say, we're following Jesus and we're following after him. Now, it'd be good to remind ourselves that not all the Pharisees were hypocrites. By the way, I don't know if you knew this or not, but 2,000 years ago, the population of Israel, I don't know, maybe a million or so, so hundreds of thousands of Jews. And, and all the scriptures that talk about, you know, the back and forth with Jesus and the Pharisees. Do you know how many Pharisees there were 2,000 years ago? Only about 6,000. Now, out of the hundreds of thousands of people, that's not very many. So they weren't a huge group. The word Pharisee means to separate. So basically, a Pharisee being separate, they were separate from all the Gentiles because they thought, well, God, you know, we're better than them, which was never God's intention when he started with Abraham and said, I'm going to bless you. God made Abraham a promise and it all started with Abraham. And God said, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to multiply your descendants like the stars of the heaven and the dust beneath your feet. And Abraham believed in God and God was so happy that he found a man to believe in him and to trust in him that he said, now, you and I are friends. That's one of the most beautiful phrases in the entire Bible. Abraham was the friend of God. And God said, this is what it means to be my friend. I'm the creator of the universe. I made all things. I flung the stars into existence. So from now on, since you believe in me, the first thing God said is, I reckon unto you that as righteousness. He didn't have to perform anything, didn't do anything, or some long list of accomplishments spiritually. He believed and trusted that God is good, that he makes a promise, and that he keeps his word. God said, that's enough for me. You are righteous in my eyes. Righteous by faith. Is that, is that good news? Same can be true for all the children of Abraham or those who believe. God, I believe you're good. You make a promise, you keep it. I trust in that. And God said, therefore, you are my friend. And here's the deal with my friends. Anybody comes after you, anybody hurts you, anybody tries to curse you, I personally will curse them. Anybody loves you, befriends you, blesses you, 
I will bless them. How many of you want to be God's friend? Amen. And then he said to Abraham in the very beginning, 4,000 years ago, and through you, I will bless all the nations of the earth. It never was only about the Jews or Israel. Yes, they had a central role. Through them, the Messiah would come. But the goal was never to end there. It was to finally come to be a blessing to the whole world. But these Pharisees, they said, we're better than all the Gentiles, holier than thou, and we're better than all the Jews, hundreds of thousands, who don't follow the law as good as we do. What's interesting, though, is that among the Pharisees, there were a few who sought true spiritual relationship with God. And I love Nicodemus. I, I, I just, would you say the word Nicodemus? Nicodemus. You're going to meet that guy in heaven someday. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was into the, wanting to be the best Jew he could be. But he met Jesus and he said, there's never been anybody like Jesus in the history of Israel. But his group was not into Jesus. So he had to come at night and come to Jesus, and he wanted to spark a conversation. He didn't know how to do it, so he did it a little awkwardly, and he said, Rabbi, we know that you, are a, that you, you must be a, from God, for no one could do the miracles you do unless he were from God. A nice, you know, little way to start a conversation. Jesus, you know, doesn't, he doesn't mess around. He goes right to the heart and he says, Nicodemus, I know what you're after and I know why you are here and I know the passion that drove you here. He had a, a pure heart. He said, let me tell you something. You, this holy, righteous, Pharisee, lover, seeker of God, must be born again. Unless you are born again, you shall not see the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus honestly said, what? I was born with my mom. How in the world can you go back to your mother's womb? Or how do you be born again? He said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. So Jesus says, I'm not talking about physically being born again. But that which is of the spirit is of the spirit. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever would believe and trust in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I believe Nicodemus, thank God for Nicodemus, because he told me one of the most beautiful gifts that, that, that describes the experience of what not religion is, but a relationship with God. You are spiritually born again in your heart, and you become a son of God, a daughter of God for all time and of eternity. Hallelujah. Thank God for Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, who was a friend probably of Nicodemus, and he also listened to Jesus and made his tomb available when Christ was crucified, of course. He didn't really need to give it to him. He just borrowed it for three days. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. And then there's an interesting man mentioned in the New Testament called Gamaliel, also a Pharisee. And after Jesus had died, uh, and, and now, now the disciples are starting to do healings, the same miracles are happening, but they killed and crucified Jesus. But it's happening through those fishermen, Matthew and and uh, or Peter, James, and John, and the rest of them. And so they come to Gamaliel, they're fighting, and they're, they're, you know, persecuting the Christians. And Gamaliel, the Pharisee, said something very wise. He goes, look, we've had many that came and said, I'm the Messiah. And they had a group, and they would get a gathering, and then the guy would die, and eventually it faded away. He goes, so if this is of man, just let it go. It'll, it'll fade of its own weight. But if it's of God then nothing you do can stop it. That was very wise, and it might have been an inside believer's way of saying, leave it alone. And look, that was 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years later, 
outstripping the population growth of seven billion people on the planet is Christianity. If it's of God, leave it alone. It's of him. So there were some Pharisees that uh, God used and blessed. Um, But this group had assumed an authority that is not their own. In fact, where it says there, the scribes and Pharisees have seated themselves in Moses' seat is a literal translation. It's not just they sit in Moses' seat, they have put themselves in that seat. Did you know there's no record in the Bible that any authority was given to the Pharisees as a group? Their only authority was the Word of God. So what Jesus said is, anything they tell you that's from the Word of God, you ought to follow and obey because the authority is not them and the authority is not a man, but the authority is the Word of God. So I wanna say to you here today, you know, not because me or this group or this church or this tribe or whatever says whatever they say. They have, we have no authority. The only authority that is in your life between you and God is right here. It's the Bible. It's the Word of God. And whatever it says, we should do and we should live and we should apply. Amen? It's very, very simple. And, um, you know, I love this. So let's go to verses 4 through 7. False religion is characterized by a lack of compassion. In verse 4, for they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. Jesus said they're not doing it because they have a true heart of love for the people or compassion for the people. They want to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments, all their religious Jewish things to show, oh, I love God more than you. They love the best places at the feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplace, and to be called by men, rabbi, rabbi, which means grand one or great one. He says, don't do that. And don't do this. He goes, that's how you know it's hypocrisy. That's the religion of men. If they lay a burden on you, a very, very heavy burden. This probably would remind people of poor little donkeys where they load all of this stuff on them, right? And you've seen where they overload the poor donkey and it gets to the point where, and he says, and the guy that's next to the donkey beats the donkey. He has no compassion for the donkey. And sometimes the poor donkey <laughs> is put in a situation beyond his ability. I mean, seriously, the, the, the guy kept loading the stuff behind the donkey. The donkey's looking over his shoulder and finally, he put one too many of those things on. He goes, he goes look, I'm, I can't do anything. That is hypocrisy. That's religion. That's the weight of it. That's the very thing that Jesus came to take away. Can I hear an amen? amen? So I want you to read with me. Here is the good news. Here is the gospel. On the other hand, from the Pharisees, Jesus said, I didn't come to add weight or burden or load you down. I came to take away from you the load of your sin, the burden of your shame, and the grief of your guilt. I came to lift your burden. So let's read Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30 together. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh, how I love that. 
That's the, that in that whole, you know, okay, let go of believing in nothing. I need God. Where is he? And when they hear Jesus and when they hear what he says, that's what every soul on planet earth needs to hear because that's the truth. That's what will set you free. He didn't come to add burdens. He came to lift burdens. He said, learn of me. I will carry all of your weight, all of your guilt, all of your shame. I'll bear it all on my shoulders. My shoulders are big and broad and I will give you rest for your souls. Learn of me, learn from me. I'll be in you. I'll change your desires from the inside so that you desire as much as you used to desire the things of the lowliness and the flesh and the world and the devil. I've washed you, cleansed you of all that because all it did was give you anxiety, fear and guilt and shame and darkness. But now I'm going to give to you the desire for things that are pure, things that are holy, things that are righteous. You'll desire them from within. And then I will give you the power to fulfill it, to do it, to step into it, to become it, to be a child of God, to grow to the full measure of the stature of Christ. Amen? I love that. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And finally, verses 8 through 12, Jesus gets to the heart of the whole issue. Great, true greatness is in serving others, not forcing others to serve us. That's religion. That's hypocrisy. Trying to get a big group of people to serve somebody else. No. So beginning in verse 8, Jesus says, But you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the the Messiah, Christ, and you are all brothers. So you're all equal in that sense in the family of God. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers. I am the teacher. I am the ultimate authority, whatever. For one is your teacher, the Christ. In fact, there's a scripture that says, you have no need that any man should teach you, but the Holy Spirit who is in you, he shall lead you and guide you into all truth. I love that. Verse 11, but he who is greatest among you. Supposedly, that's what Pharisees wanted to be. I want to be the greatest Jew. I want to be the holiest man He who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And the prime example is the king of kings. No greater servant than the king himself, Jesus. And how he lived it, how he demonstrated it, how he gave it and shared it with us. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. I love this. Let's read it out loud. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. If I could say in false, hypocritical, religious confines, they interpret this as let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and think you are really holy and awesome. No, that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. When you find, and this is what has been my own experience, when I have found and I look for, where's, show me a man of God, show me a man of character, show me a man of integrity. And, it, and when I see that man, holy, passionate, in love with God, or I see a woman that is a woman in the spirit and after the heart of the Lord, it inspires me and it encourages me. It tells me, God, you are good, and what you said is true. It can be counted upon. Your promises are realized, and that brother and that sister makes me want to be the man that God meant me to be. I want to be what he has called me to be. Amen? 
And the last scripture, 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, let's read it. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. So we can humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. He will exalt you in due time. And I love this. Cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.